What is up, asymmetry? Mm, got a good one today. Look, there are very few pillars in our bonsai culture that have stayed consistent over the course of time. But one of those pillars that has lasted the test of time is the Joshua Roth Bonsai Tool Company. And uh, we have a very strong relationship with Ken Carlson, the owner of Joshua Roth Tools, and thought it would be very interesting to sit down with Ken and just talk about the nuances, the history of Joshua Roth, their contributions to the bonsai community from the new talent competition to their support of the Artisans Cup, uh, to their continued support and patronage of uh, of bonsai cultures in Texas, Florida, and the opportunity for Joshua Roth to continue to be a driving force in North America and, and the world of bonsai abroad. Uh, fascinating, fascinating conversation. Ken, absolutely spectacular, wonderful human being who has dedicated and given a lot to our bonsai culture. Sit back, enjoy and uh, and if it moves you, support Joshua Roth because it is an incredible company that has done a lot for all of us. All right, enjoy. But it's good to have you here. Well, <laughs> what a shock and honor hey. to, to have you. You know, because you know, I explained I don't do bonsai. Mm-hmm. I explained my background. Right. You know, I've, I don't have the creative talent, but I I have the. Uh, I have the appreciation mm-hmm. of bonsai. Mm-hmm. I have a good eye for quality bonsai. Right. But, you know, I, I just, I don't have the talent. My background was growing up in hardware. I had to start working when I was 12 years old in my mom and dad's hardware store. And mm-hmm. and it's hardware since 1903. And wow. in our family since 41 or 42. No kidding. And uh, where was this at? Brownsville. Oregon? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it is uh, south of Albany and uh, four miles east of I-5. Okay. And uh, it's a nice community, about 1,500 population. Uh, it's the third oldest town in Oregon. Now, is that where you still live? No. Oh. No, I live in Albany, 20 miles away. You do, do live yeah. in Albany. And so, so Joshua Roth is based out of Albany. Correct. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. <clears throat> Not many people. So it's fascinating to me. Joshua Roth was my first bonsai tool. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. yeah. When I was 12 years old, I took Joshua Roth tools to Japan when I apprenticed. Oh, wow. Uh, and uh, and they've been the tool that I've used since I've come back. Well, I, I thank you. That's yeah. I would have had no idea. Now, yeah. you know that Joshua Roth founded the company in 1980. I didn't. And in Santa Rosa, okay. California. Mm-hmm. And sadly, he cancer got him in, after five years. And so in 1985, his uh, sister took it over and, uh, and uh, ended up moving it to Corvallis, Oregon for mm-hmm. a while. She had it for about five years. And then... Uh, I don't know why, it wasn't her cup of tea, whatever. Uh, she sold it to Don and Jan Anderson, mm. who uh, moved it to Portland, and they eventually moved it to Vancouver, Washington, which is where it was when I bought the company. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard to believe, Ryan, uh, this is my 21st year 
of owning Joshua Roth. I can't believe it. I I love the business. I love our dealers. And, uh, you know, you just couldn't have a better group of people to uh, be involved with on a daily basis. Interesting. And so you come at it, you came at it from the perspective of having had experience in the hardware uh, and from the hardware aspect of operating a retail operation. Right. That and inventory management and customer service. Mm -hmm. So those, uh, those where I came from, I was looking for a business. uh, uh, When my father died, one of my brothers and I bought the hardware and building materials business from mom. Mm -hmm. And he and I were partners for 17 plus years and I got him to buy me out. And and then I purchased uh, a hardware on my own Mm -hmm. and uh, had that. And that was in Albany. And it actually was uh, uh, very much a a commercial uh, industrial hardware. And I loved that. Mm -hmm. I was not a pots and pans, uh, bicycle kind of uh, hardware store guy. I liked real hardware. Right. And we had industrial customers and contractors, and as well as consumers. Sure. We took care of them as well. And uh, uh, loved that. And I had that for eight years until the landlord told me he was selling the building for a different use. It is now the Lynn County Museum, Historical Museum. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's a good facility for it. It was a two-story brick building that... Interestingly, this huge two-story brick building originally was two blocks away and 90-degree turned. Hmm. So they moved this brick building, turned it 90 degrees, and moved it two blocks. Wait, how do you move a brick building? (laughs) Rolling rolling on logs. No. Yeah, and and with, uh, I don't know if it was donkeys or mules or horses. Wait, what year did they move it? Uh, I think 1914, I believe. Oh my gosh. A and, brick building? Yes. A two-story brick. And and the ceilings were like about 13 feet tall, 12, 13 feet on each floor. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. Without it falling apart. Holy cow. I didn't even know that was... I mean, I know they move houses now. I didn't know they could move buildings, let alone in 1914 via donkey and, and, and logs. Yeah. And they, they moved, uh, the, the animals would uh, walk around a capstan for leverage and in order to be able to pull the weight. And you know what that is? No. Well, a capstan is a, is a round. Well, think you you see uh, like in, what they crush crush grain with well, or yes, something uh-huh. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, except okay, except that there is a center a center post and and the ropes go around the center post and and they use that leverage that they have uh-huh. walking around you know at at a radius from the center post to uh, achieve the uh, uh, what they need to do to to move the building. Yeah, unbelievable. That is so interesting. Uh, I like to say that a building has a basement, and they move the basement with it. <laughs> I, you don't know. I'm pulling your leg on that. <laughs> <laughs> I had to stop for a minute, though. <laughs> you had me for a minute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I loved that business, and frankly, I'd still have it if the landlord hadn't sold the building. It was a great business. So why didn't you, uh, or I guess it's got to be very complex to set up a hardware store. I mean, from the ground up, I can't imagine 
that it that is. is an easy thing to do. It is. I had no place to move in Albany mm-hmm. uh, uh, that I could afford uh, and was in you know, good location and parking, et cetera. So I just had to hire a liquidator. Mm-hmm. And so then I just started looking for another business that was, you know, first I started looking for hardware stores. Yeah. And, uh, and, but, you know, a business that was involved inventory management and customer service. That's, you know, I, I do real well with that. Yeah. And it, are you passionate about that? You enjoy it? Like, what is that? What is, what was it about hardware that really turned your crank? Oh, tools and just tools tool, and, and solving consumer problems. Mm-hmm. You know, they come in with a problem. A lot of times a customer would come in and they're trying to solve something and they're going to buy this or that. And now look, there's a better way to do it. It actually costs you less money mm-hmm. to do it this way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not about getting the most money out of somebody, but uh, having the best solution for them. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And, uh, but yeah, you know, I just, you know, loved solving problems for people and having the products that they needed to solve uh, what they were working on. So you were out of the hardware business looking for your next step, and how did you stumble upon Joshua Roth? It was an ad in the Oregonian Business Opportunities section. And uh, and so I pursued that, contacted, and uh, made an inquiry and got some information and uh, you know, kind of sat on that and did a little talking and went to see uh, where they were and... and uh, uh, what they had for inventory and and uh, just uh, you know just kind of negotiated with them over a period of time. It took a long time, mm. and uh, they were rather intransigent on what they uh, were asking. Right, and uh, it just kind of came down to the point. Hey, I'm I'm tired of not you know being in business and doing something, and so bought the business, and uh, here I am. In my twenty-first year, yeah, twenty-first year in twenty twenty-one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I I love the business. Huh. Uh, we uh, we have customers uh, outside the U.S. Uh, in Canada and Mexico and Puerto Rico and mm-hmm. and Australia and Brazil and Argentina and I can't remember where else. Wow. Did have one in Switzerland, but he's been inactive for a while, and uh-huh. and in England uh, he's been inactive, and but. Yeah, you never know. Go to work where orders are going to come from during the course of a day. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> so when I was in Japan apprenticing, it's been this is the beginning of the eleventh year since my apprenticeship ended. Uh, ended. Yeah, okay. two thousand ten. I came back spring of two thousand ten. So, so actually, tomorrow is the end of my tenth year and the beginning of my eleventh year of business. Okay, end of the first decade okay. tomorrow. Yeah. And you were there six years? Is that... I was there six years. Okay. Yeah, yeah, give or take. Yeah. And um, you know, when I was there, it was very clear during my apprenticeship that that Japanese bonsai had already peaked and that it was beginning its downward trend. Uh, patrons of the art form were reaching the end of their lifespan. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Prominent professionals were... No longer making trees, but more brokering trees. And you're uh, talking about in Japan. In Japan, yeah, yeah, in Japan. And there was a general consensus, you know, and it was it was kind of fascinating to see how Mr. Kimura handled his profession because um, 
because there was an influx of, I think, modern Chinese containers coming into Japan that were uh, that were unseating the steadfast presence of tokoname pots and the Japanese ceramicists. You know, they were mm-hmm. cheaper. They were mm-hmm. of decent quality and, and mm-hmm. improving in quality mm-hmm. in terms of the Chinese imports. Uh, Chinese tools were starting to show mm-hmm. up in the Japanese market. and Except at that time, I think they were all pretty much junk. Yeah, they were junk uh, at that I, time. Not yeah, only looked absolutely. like junk, but were junk. Were junk. And, and, <clears throat> and so the, the beginning of the shift of the trend had started at the end of my apprenticeship, towards the end of my apprenticeship. And, and it made me nervous because, you know, Tokoname ceramicists shutting down their kilns and, and the, 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 the lack of, or at least what I perceive to be the lack of support of the other craftspeople that helped uh, float and support the bonsai community in Japan by the very professionals that depended on those people, you know, and, and had existed in, in collaboration as a community for so long was one of the big, was one of the big pushes for me to uh, think about the necessity of bonsai professionals in the Western world uh, as patrons of ceramicists, of stand makers, of you know field growers, of yamadori collectors with a high degree of morality, uh, as well as companies that that had good tools. You know, it just it only made sense. Who's going to you know the 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 structure in Japan was. Um, patrons that were spending lots of money with the bonsai professionals, but then the bonsai professionals were seemingly cutting corners and trying to find cheaper products, but sell trees at the same price. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if you, uh, if you try to take that quick hit money time over time, over time, you, you erode the foundation of your bonsai culture. And I watched that yeah, happen in Japan. the art form degrades. It degrades very rapidly because you lose all mm-hmm, of the craftspeople mm-hmm. that care. They no longer have the support. And so that was like, that was a major, major education for me because I watched a very significant fall from grace happen very rapidly and I've watched it continue to exponentially gain momentum. You know, and uh, I, I know Joshua Roth tools, you know, have long have for a long time been the standard of quality in North America. So it only made sense coming back that I would be using Joshua Roth, you know, because the quality is still there. Well, I'm very grateful and I, I appreciate your, your critical assessment of, of the tools to yeah. make sure that the standard continues to be met. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was really interesting. And I was, very, uh, I, was, I was really honored when you asked me to do that and, and to, to give my opinion. I mean, it's so... You know, there's some subjectiveness to what is a good tool in bonsai because, uh, you know, to one enthusiast, they may say a good tool is stainless so that if I leave it outside and it rusts, I don't ruin it, you know? And, and to another enthusiast or to a professional, a good tool has durability. It has the balance of durability with with the capacity to hone the blade for really yeah. concise, really concise cutting mm-hmm. and really clean, rapid healing uh, wounds on the trees that you're going to be making, you know? So it's like, I think one of the big, one of the big knocks. And when you look at Masakuni is the ergonomics of Masakuni tools are just fantastic. The designs are nuanced, but the fragility of the tool, it has always been, I think a consistent discussion in the bonsai community, especially among professionals where you say, I'm going to pay twice the price for this product and I'm going to have to be twice as careful, mm-hmm. you know, and as a yeah. professional, their tools are going to get banged up. 
And this is really where I think Joshua Roth tools for me have continued to be an incredibly durable as well as a honable product. Good. Uh, good. That, that uh, I mean, I, I, have, I have a bag full of Joshua Roth tools. Students use my secondhand tools uh, all the time. And, uh, but I very rarely have to renew a tool. And that's huge for me because I use my tools more than, more than I think most practitioners would ever dream of using their tools. I mean, on a daily basis, they're put to the true test. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, I, I go through that long-winded. You don't have to baby them. I don't have to baby them. Yeah. And in fact, I, I, I like the fact that I don't have to baby them. I mean, I don't mistreat them either. I just want to be clear. It's not right. like I'm throwing around Joshua Roth tools and like promoting that they're indestructible. You're not trying I, to cut a three quarter inch uh, branch with a uh, uh, with a seven inch concave cutter. No, no, no. <laughs> you because know. you know, like at some point, every tool is going to break. Yeah. But I think like the 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 production of these higher quality tools. I mean, they come from Japan. They're they're produced in Japan. Yes. I'm assuming, and and I think I know that Joshua Roth tools probably sandcasted as the manner of production. Do you know how they're produced? I I think they are, mm-hmm. but uh, I can't I can't truly say other than I assume that the professional and intermediate are most likely sandcasted, yeah. and the stainless as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know about the uh, about our novice line because we've got four grades of Japanese tools: okay. novice, intermediate, professional, and then the master which is the stainless steel Mm -hmm. yep yeah and i mean how have things changed for you over the course of time your 21st year and you've been i I mean if you if you purchased in 2000 different you got to ride the wave of bonsai one sort of big peak of bonsai then a trough i mean 2000 you're seeing you're getting into Joshua Roth tools as Eldorado Bonsai is importing Satsuki azaleas in copious quantities as well as other trees. Mm-hmm. Bonsai, Kathy Shaner is a prominent professional. Boone is coming back from Japan and just establishing in the Northern California region. I mean, that was a, that was a, a, a great era for Bonsai, the early 2000s in North America, and then it just fell flat on its face. Well, the things that we continue to... To see is over these 21 years and, and really starting probably 10, 15 years ago, we started losing a tool here and there that the maker would retire, the maker would die, uh, the business would close, the earthquake tsunami in 2011 devastated a lot of suppliers. And uh, so we struggled to keep finding good sources for Japanese tools. How, how do you do it though? Well, I have I have two agents in Japan mm-hmm. that that source for me. Gotcha. Okay, so you have trusted relationships. Yes. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. And did these come when you acquired the company? Did they come with the company, or is this your experience of how you source this kind of inventory? Well, they the the companies came with the business, but they've changed ownership along the way. Mm-hmm. And uh, the my primary agent uh, that sourced for me and arranged shipments, he would I'd place the orders with them, and uh, uh, and then they would bring them in and they would package them and label them for me. I send my UPC barcodes to Japan for them to apply to the tools. Uh, my UPC is proprietary. It's mm-hmm. Joshua Roth. Right. And uh and they do that for me. And uh but uh they 
try to source, you know, they'll send me a sample now and then, and oftentimes I will not like it, uh, and I need to have somebody test it and evaluate it. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, they, the, the, my number one agent uh, sold the company probably four or five years ago, and I've really been pleased with the new owners. They have really been over backwards to uh, to help and, and in fact I like them better than the long time one. Oh, that's always so good. it's it's that's been a, that's it's, a good exchange. I, I, oh I, <laughs> I yeah, no kidding. I just am overwhelmed with uh, how pleasing it is that nice. they've they've been been delightful to work with. Mm-hmm. So did you as as you as tools are retired, as manufacturers, fabricators, companies go under change hands Potentially, there's a, a an end of a generation. Avoid, yeah. Right, yeah. I, I mean, um, are you finding that it's harder and harder to find quality Japanese tools that are still being manufactured? It is. Yeah. 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 And, it, and, and so from my perspective, as you and I have worked together and we've had to find solutions to tools that we really mm-hmm. valued that were no mm-hmm. longer produced, mm-hmm. you know, the... The continual thing is the hunt is on once you're looking for a replacement because there is a lower level of demand for Japanese tools. And at some point, the foundries that are fabricating these tools, is there a concern they won't have enough demand to be fabricating them anymore? Well, I wouldn't be surprised. I couldn't couldn't really speak to that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I mentioned you know that that the craftsmen that have been making the tools you know are retiring, dying, going out of business you know, and and the, and the, I think they're having a lot of trouble getting young people to come in and yeah. want to do that kind of work, and they yeah. they want to do electronics, they want to be on their cell phones or doing uh, computer work, and so we're losing the craftsmen. Yeah, yeah. And uh, costs are going up, mm-hmm. and uh, which you can appreciate, but it makes it more difficult to sell quality tools to yeah. to consumers. And you have to you have to be somebody like you or I that appreciates a quality tool yeah. and values it. And you don't want to uh, <laughs> don't want to replace a tool, uh, you know, every time you every time you need to use one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's been yeah, it has been interesting to see all of the different and I have to say this, when I look at tool manufacturers and companies that have come and gone in the short time that I've been doing bonsai, you know, uh there's a lot of them. There's a lot of tool companies that have come into the market, have had a you know, mm-hmm. like a flash in the pan, they're like a mm-hmm. big bright flame and then they're gone. You know, and that's I have to believe that that is the sort of big push to try and ignite a demand for this new product that's being brought online in terms of the bonsai world. And does it catch or does it not? And more often than not, it doesn't catch. And there is something about Joshua Roth, 21 years for you personally, but started in 1980. I mean, that's a 41-year-old company right now. Right. That's, Good legacy. This is this is unheard of. Bonsai today doesn't exist anymore. 
you know, as the as the primary publication of North America. That was a wonderful magazine. It was we, unbelievable. It was terrific. Yeah, unbelievable. And I was so disappointed when it was taken offshore. We all were. Yeah. We all yeah. were. And Bonsai Europe bought it, and then Bonsai Europe was going to be covering North America, and then they became Bonsai Focus. And I think, you know, if you if you live in, in Holland and you're trying to document North American Bonsai, you really have to spend a lot of money and a lot of time in a in a continent that's quite expansive and has a lot of diversity of information, right? you know, and that just was not a reality over the course of time. So to have this sort of, you know, we're using Japanese tools through Joshua Roth, but it very much is a homegrown system without Joshua Roth. What, what tool is somebody going to buy? You know, that's always been my question. That's always been my, I guess my uh, understanding of things is listen, this is, this is a company that's been here delivering for us in North America for, for 41 years. I, I feel pretty good about uh, supporting Joshua Roth from the c- concept of a company that has, has had our back more or less. You know, One of your students here today, as she was leaving, asked what I was here for. She didn't know who I was. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so I, I told her and and she said that uh, she had Joshua Roth tools that she had bought from uh, uh, one of our dealers in California, mm. where she lives. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. That was nice to hear. Yeah. 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 It's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's a really, yeah. And, and, and I think what I was going to ask you about is when you took over Joshua Roth 21 years ago, was Joshua Roth already funding the new talent competitions? No. Okay. I have been doing that for 18 years. Uh-huh. And how did that all start? Well, I was just got a phone call out of the blue and and the proposal was made that they wanted to know if I'd be willing to sponsor the, the new talent competition and uh, Now was this American Bonsai Society ABS that 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 reached out to you? It was ABS. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And you thought, "Hey, sounds good to me." Mhm. And uh, re- have really, really been proud uh, to be able to do that mm-hmm. for, the, for the bonsai community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the fascinating thing is there are a lot of new talent competitions in Europe, and I could not, as much as I interact with the European bonsai community, I could not tell you the name of any singular new talent competition. But every single bonsai practitioner in North America could tell you about the Joshua Roth New Talent Competition. Joshua Roth also uh, supports and sponsors some aspects of of the Texas uh, annual uh, convention and Florida as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're glad to participate in those events. Mm -hmm. And why Texas and why Florida? I was asked. Uh Uh (laughs) As simple as that. Uh You know? Uh And, and, so, and, and I was able to, you know, find find it in my budget. Sure. So. Yeah, as a responsible business owner, I, it it only seems to make sense that you would you would want to be facilitating the growth of this art form. Oh, absolutely. As a company yeah. that that benefits <laughs> from and depends on. I mean, it's the same for me. Listen, the bigger bones I gets the better it is for Mariah. You know, the more people that appreciate and love, and it's such like a, the, the fascinating thing about Bonsai for me is uh, when you think about business and you think about 
all of all of the different nuances that go into business, usually business growth and advantage comes at the sacrifice of something else. And with bonsai, it feels like there is always the, that positivity that the more people that are interested in bonsai, the more people that are aware of the relationship we have with the natural environment, the more people are determined or equipped with the kind of understanding of that relationship to value and make good decisions mm-hmm. about sustainability over the course of time. This for me is the trump card of business and bonsai. It, and, and it and it lifts, at least for me, that feeling of um, making decisions where you have to compromise your morality or stance mm-hmm. on environment, sustainability, uh, you know, or any of those things that come with uh, profit-based actions. And and I really appreciate all of the different craftspeople that engage with bonsai because I think everybody is on the same mission, which is to expand this art form. And this art form has a very powerful mm-hmm. capacity to improve, I think, people's perspective, relationship, and quality of life. I, I oh, 100% yes. believe yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's a great art form. Mm-hmm. And we need to c- continue to promote it. So how do you how do you continue then uh, the new talent? Well, let me come back to the new talent competition. Eighteen years ago, you started. What was your motivation in the beginning for that? I mean, what, what, it was very simple: support the bonsai community, uh huh, and to hopefully draw in uh, new uh, new talent. Right. In uh, it's typically been uh, where. ABS or or a committee would select eight contestants to compete mm-hmm. in the in the uh, competition, and then they would end up with uh, you know one, two, and three uh, prizes and and uh, but it's uh, simple as that. I just I love the art form. It's beautiful. You know, nobody needs to tell you anymore that than this. It's such a diverse art form. Right. Uh, you know, from little fruit trees to flowering trees to you name it, right. every kind, anything can be, can be bonsai. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just you know, from a business standpoint, in the beginning, you know, it was inventory management, customer service, and and I love tools, quality tools to, to you know, growing into loving the art form and mm. recognizing it and appreciating it. Uh, so you know, you don't have your own bonsai trees. I do not That's believe great. me. I would kill them. I, you know, I, I, I don't have the patience, <laughs> or or the talent. <laughs> this is probably why Joshua Roth is still in existence. I got to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the r- real difficult. Ever since the 2011 earthquake tsunami, it's become a very difficult business with the lead times mm. uh, of getting product. When I bought the business. Um, I placed an order with Japan. A shipment would arrive within 60 days, give or take a day or two. And now we're looking at four months, Mm. uh, even more. I've got a shipment coming in tomorrow that was ordered last fall. Wow. And and another shipment that is back orders from this that won't be here until like June 1. 
Unbelievable. So this is this is pandemic related or they never caught up after the tsunamis? Well, both, but but this is really heavily pandemic related. Mm-hmm. But it's it the time frame began to grow after the earthquake tsunami grew to three months, uh typically to get a shipment mm-hmm. at my warehouse. And uh and now it's you know another one or two or three months beyond that. So managing inventory is very difficult. And uh, which has been my specialty, but uh, it's really <laughs> new curveballs being thrown at you yeah, now. Yeah, cur- curveballs all the time. Yeah, so it's interesting. It's a challenge. Interesting. And and when somebody approaches you and they say, "Hey, can we distribute your tools?" What's the process that you go through to 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 determine, uh, or, or or is there a determination of yeah, we want this individual to vend our tools? The first thing the first thing I'll ask is is where will you sell our tools? Mm. And oh, we're in e-commerce. We sell on Amazon, or we sell Walmart, or so forth. I say, no, thank you. Yeah, uh, we you know I don't want my tools sold in Walmart. Uh, and I don't tell them why, but in my opinion, that would degrade the brand. Yeah. Uh, and uh, as far as Amazon, we already have dealers selling on Amazon. And if they really want to know why, I'll say because I think that adding another Amazon seller would only dilute sales away from my existing dealers that I value. Mm-hmm. And do you feel like your approach to that commitment to your vendors or your dealers has created long-term relationships for you that have been pretty time-tested? Well, I think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I also know that it costs me money because I could be selling more stuff to these people. Yeah. And uh, so I kind of, you know, cut off my nose to spite my face, but but I believe in the community. Yeah. And uh, you can't... I get one or two solicitations a day mm-hmm. from these kind of outfits wanting to sell my stuff on Amazon or, or uh, Walmart or Home Depot's website. Or... Interesting. And, so if they have a brick-and-mortar store, then I'm really interested. Yeah. And if they also sell online, you know, hey, have your own website, that's great. Uh, love that. Yeah. And, uh, and in, the, in a case like that with a dealer brick-and-mortar and has especially has their own website, but even if they didn't, I wouldn't object to them selling on Amazon sure. either. Sure. I wouldn't prevent them from doing that. But the main thing is I want to promote brick and mortar dealers. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And and so with these challenges as as times change and <clears throat> and things become more complex, are you constantly thinking how does Joshua Roth as a company adapt? To these changing times, or are you? Are you? Do you feel like you know? Because this is something I think about too. Like it, as a bonsai practitioner, is obviously there's me- mechanized ways or tech-based ways that business has changed and speeds mm-hmm. or methodologies mm-hmm. have shifted, improved. I don't know, questionable, you know, but it's changed. It has, and there's a little bit of a feeling for me inside of bonsai that. I don't know if it's if anything's safe from artificial intelligence being able to replace the individual over the course of time. 
but bonsai does feel like something that is going to need a, 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 a human input in order for it to be successful. And that means that all of the tertiary businesses that are associated with bonsai seem to have the capacity to be able to be a part of that uh, unique characteristic of the endeavor. Well, I, f I feel really connected with my dealers. Mm -hmm. And uh, my dealers can order from me either by phone, fax, or email. And uh, whatever works for them, I, I'm good with. But I love it when they call and place an order on the phone because I can, I can frequently give them a little guidance. Mm -hmm. uh, I have new dealers that will want to order a lot of this and a lot of that and a lot of this. And I'll say, look... You don't need to order so much. Work off my inventory. You need to stock what you need to stock, right. but no more. Spread your money that you have across a more diverse range of products. Don't concentrate on half a dozen things that you've got a dozen of each. Uh, I don't want you to end up with, uh, with products that gather dust on the shelf when you could have you know, two or three or whatever you think is necessary. Yeah. I'm not going to limit you, but, you know, stock what you need, work off my inventory. I'm here to support you mm -hmm. at retail. I do not penalize my dealers for less than box quantities. That's been a real key thing for me. And that comes from being in the hardware business where I would deal with vendors where if we had a customer that wanted a product we didn't stock... And if my vendor, my whole, my distributor, uh, would only sell us a case, I couldn't take care of my customer. Mm -hmm. So I emphasize to my dealers, you know, if you need to order a special order for a customer, we're here to support you. There's no penalty for ordering one or two of an item. You don't mm -hmm. have to buy a case, whether it is special order or whether it's for your own stock. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's uh. <clears throat> As I talk to you, I'm recognizing how how big of a skill set it is to manage a, a company that carries the kind of quantity of tools that Joshua Ross stocks. And with this lengthening of time to get shipments, it requires a greater capital investment in mm -hmm. inventory mm -hmm. to cover. And even even in spite of that, and in spite of my software helping as as much as it does, uh, I have still run out of uh, probably 10 items yeah out of maybe out of 500 or so yeah and uh but tomorrow shipments coming in will rectify a whole, a whole <laughs> Get bunch back above water <laughs> yes <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i wonder if we're waiting on anything i don't think so you keep us pretty well stocked you gave me the same advice when we started about quantities and diversifying mm -hmm. and it was really valuable trying to figure out how we how we enter you know the world of of carrying product because people needed it when they were here and we didn't have it you know it's like everything was so organic for Mirai um in the beginning don't forget also ryan that i would be happy to drop ship to a customer of yours if you needed that right so feel free to call on us to do that because yeah that's good news. Because yeah, we'll I be happy that. to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So so as far as, you know, Joshua Roth diversifying your business methodology, that's not really where you're at. You're saying, listen, we do what we do really well. Yeah. And we're going to continue to do it and change and 
and modify the manner in which we handle the inventory and counteract these delays as best we can as best you can yeah and i'm not adding bicycles or pots and pans to inventory right right yeah <laughs> wow you know now have you ever been to japan I have not. Uh-huh. Okay. So never never really it, it wasn't there was not not necessarily a fascination culturally or from any perspective. You looked at it, you said, "Wow, good tools, high quality. Yeah. This is this is in my wheelhouse of where I have an expertise and right. can be successful and boom, away you went." Exactly. Uh-huh. Interesting. Okay. Now now what do you do in your free time? What do you like to do? Because this is a business for you. This is something that you do very well as a as a business owner operator. What do you do when you're not doing business? I do very little. Other, than, <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, business has always been my hobby as well. Aha. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, I don't golf. Uh, w- one of my brothers told me back when I was in college, "Boy, you you need to learn how to golf." And uh, I took a class uh, one term. I was never so glad to have a class. <laughs> I was, I just, it wasn't, I didn't like it. Yeah. My idea of sports, I, I played football, wrestling, and track. Sure. I liked <laughs> the physical, the physical sports. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, golf is physical. I, w- I won't take that away from somebody. But, Debatable, but okay. But it, it wasn't my <laughs> my kind of games. And, you know, I so I... I don't do that. I don't play tennis. I basic business is my hobby. I yeah. love it. Okay. Okay. And uh, you know, I would like to be able to get away. Uh, I'm really tied to it. I have a brother that retired to Ecuador 12 years ago. Ooh. He wants me to keep. He keeps wanting me to come visit, and I haven't been able to make it yet. And you know, we don't have uh, we don't have a large staff, so yeah. I kind of am pinned pinned to the office. So. So, you know, and this is, I wanted to ask you this as uh, in, you know, with the opportunity to talk about it, and I'm not asking for numbers, but it sounds to me like the bonsai tool business is a busy one. It is. Uh, Last year was my best year, and this year is also uh, really a good year. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So... Are you seeing bonsai expanding again? Is that is that what that indicates to you? Well, that- I think that this last year and this year was a result of the of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. People being home more. Uh, our our retail dealers uh, having customers come in and getting things to buy tools, uh, bonsai tools. If they're doing bonsai, and we have a lot of tools that are not geared specifically to bonsai, but just general uh, garden pruners and so forth. Right. And, and uh, my number one uh, product is a garden cut share, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, sure you could use it for for bonsai, but uh, it's just a general garden cut share. I, I have to buy those three thousand at a time. Three thousand tools. Yeah, that one tool I have to buy when I place an order. I order three thousand of them. Unbelievable. At a time. And uh, yeah, it's a <laughs> it's a great tool. I had a lady from Guatemala, a Guatemala immigrant living in uh, Massachusetts, call wanting to know where she could 
buy it. She she went into Wegman's Food Markets. You've probably never heard of them. In oh, the, I've been in to the a Northeast. Wegmans. Oh yeah, National oh. Show in Rochester, New York. Okay. Wegman's is the place. Yeah. Well, Wegman's <laughs> Wegman's buys 48, 72, 120 at a time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just shipped them 120 uh, last week. Nice. Of this garden cut share. And she this person was in there buying flowers and and uh, the the florist let her use the garden cut share to trim some of the flowers mm-hmm. and uh but Wegmans doesn't sell the share they only use them in their floral shops and as you know they've they have over 70 locations right. in the northeast yeah and uh so i i called the buyers and that i dealed with and i said you don't uh, sell these? No, these are all internal use. And he, I said, well, you have a garden department? He said, yes, but that's a different department. <laughs> he doesn't buy for them. Uh-huh. 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 <laughs> so I said, well, please tell somebody to call me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Let's, let's have that conversation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to get that in 70 locations would be great. <laughs> that's amazing. But uh, so I... Glad you know Wegmans. Uh, yeah, it's a great, great place. Fantastic. It's an incredible grocery, top top tier grocery I f- chain. I feel like it's still family owned as well, or uh, I don't think it's a publicly traded company. Uh, not that I'm aware of. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah wow. Interesting. Yeah. This, when, um, you know, the national show in Rochester, New York, that Bill Valvanis puts on. Yes. Uh-huh. Every two years. I hope it happens this year. I know it didn't happen last year, so I think he was going to try to ha- make it happen the fall of this year. We'll see see how that goes. Everybody right now is, is curious if it'll happen, but I hope it does. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, the very first time I went to the national show, Bill said, uh, you've been to Wegmans yet? And I said, what's, what, what's, <laughs> what's Wegmans? Wegmans? And he's like, best grocery store in North America. You know, like you got to go check it out. And uh, that particular show, 2012, when we were packing up, on Sunday, it was like 98 degrees outside and like 85% humidity. I mean, it was powerfully <laughs> uncomfortable. And it was me and Peter Warren and Zach Scheiman, three, um, you know, hardworking, very heavy sweating uh, mm-hmm. guys that were going to sit in a very small cab of an of a uncomfortable truck for the next, you know, 46 hours together uh and so wegmans was our saving grace and that's why i have some affection for wegmans they had everything that i needed to hydrate satisfy my sweet tooth and uh and uh satisfy hygiene necessities so it worked out well my 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 little sister her husband served a tour um in the middle east uh i don't remember if it was his iraq tour or afghanistan or if it was when uh uh, when he was up in Turkey, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and she came and lived with mom because they were living on the East Coast. She came and lived in, with mom in Brownsville during that time, mm-hmm. and she came in and pitched in and helped me. Uh, and uh, she said, "I've brought I brought something really special that you're going to like," and <laughs> and she went and got it, and it was some Wegman's hot cocoa mix. And I said, I have a surprise for you. I went and brought her a sales order that we had received an order that day <laughs> from Wegmans for Garden Cut Shears. So that was what a, what a happy coincidence. That's amazing. That's amazing. So, so Joshua Roth, you know, like thinking about 
my 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 understanding of Joshua Roth is fairly narrow and limited because you're supplying quality tools to Wegmans or larger companies like that and you're also meeting the demands of really I mean I, I would consider Mirai to be a relatively boutique company mm-hmm. very in, much so in terms yeah. of the, the the quantities are not massive you know, but 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 we're consistent, and we kind of try to do what we do well. And uh, you're managing clientele of a lot of different uh, walks of life. I have a company in Canada that buys our garden cut share for cutting automotive hoses. I'll be darned. And they'll buy forty eight at a time. <laughs> and 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 how do they find you? How do they know? Like, what, what does that I, look I don't like? Know. I get this call somewhere. I don't know where they. Interesting. Came across the tool, but huh. maybe an employee or yeah, yeah. So, so do you actively try to market to to different lifestyles or 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 the, something, or is it all word of mouth that has no, built Joshua Roth? No, the 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 only marketing advertising wise that I do besides the talent competitions is to advertise in the bonsai magazines here uh-huh. in the U.S. Uh huh. And so you're looking at international bonsai mag, which is no longer in 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 print now, right? With Bill Valvanis, or is he still publishing that? He's still. Is he still okay? Yeah, right. and Golden Statements in California. Oh, Golden Statements, right? And uh, BCI. Uh, uh, and ABS, yeah, yeah, yeah. ABS so, Journal. Okay. So that's the extent of it. Other than other than word of mouth and huh. and uh, sponsoring some of the competitions. Boy, is isn't it interesting? And you probably have a better perspective of this than anybody. Isn't it interesting the breadth of influence Bonsai has, this sort of spider fracture effect, that it would lead a garden shear to be utilized to cut rubber hoses for an automotive company? Yeah. I, I mean, guess, that's, yeah. that's some random occurrence of some you know, mechanic and maybe his friend, Who knows? kid, wife somebody handed him this or this was sitting around the house and he used it and he said, that's the tool for this job. That's, that's just unbelievable. <laughs> I have two unrelated types of things that don't really uh, fit in with the podcast, but uh, a gentleman in Brownsville, uh, back during the uh, nuclear scare with uh, Russia, uh, we were going to be bombed and people hiding under their desks. Mm-hmm. The government asked this gentleman, I don't know where he worked at the time, what lab, uh, to create a product that people could cleanse their skin to get rid of radiation fallout. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, one day, <clears throat> he, uh, uh, a lady came over to his house and his wife, his wife wasn't there, and she wanted to borrow uh, or get some of that uh, that liquid that they had for cleaning poison oak. What? Yeah. <laughs> well, it turned out this product that that he had developed also could be used for cleaning uh, poison oak contamination from your skin. And that company became Tech New Labs. Yeah, right. Are you familiar with that company? Yeah, of course. I've used Tech New before. Tech New. Poison oak. Poison oak. <laughs> and they've got other products and so forth uh, that they've developed. That's an Albany company. Huh. Yeah, Albany-based. And, uh, and another gentleman, uh, uh, a woman came over to his house and, and wanted to borrow some of that plastic wrap. Uh, that they had, and 
it turns out that he had developed saran wrap. And this woman came over and wanted to use it for covering some uh, some food. They were going on picnics. And uh, he didn't have that market in mind. I don't know what market they had in mind, but there you go. You know, things just come out of the blue. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So where where they come from? And yeah, it's always fun. And, and were you aware of that or had you seen that a lot, having the background that you had in hardware? Or is this something that has been interesting or sort of a curiosity of being involved in a niche industry like uh, a tool company primarily specializing in bonsai and yet you see it branching out into all these other areas well i think that's pretty much it i uh, you know i saw some when i was in the hardware business specifically Mm -hmm. but uh, it's been even more prevalent uh, since i've had this company the last 21 years yeah it's it's fun where uh, consumers come from. We have consumers call all the time wanting to buy tools and we'll try to see if there's a dealer near them. And if there isn't, then we'll have to, some of our dealers sell online and right. we, we try to connect them with the dealer. Yeah. And, and as a, a last resort, we'll tell them we have dealers that are selling on Amazon. So hopefully you can find it. And if you can't find it, call me back. We will see you're taken care of. Oh, good. Sometimes I'll get a hold of a dealer and say, I got a customer who wants this, and I'll be glad to drop ship it for you. I'll sell it to you, but I'll drop ship it for you. You make the sale. Yeah. Yeah. That builds relationships too. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah, that's huge that you have your dealers back, back like that. Wow. Wow, Ken. Super fascinating. So I want to go back to, I want to go back to this notion of, you know, Joshua Roth as a longstanding tool company in North America, seeing these surges of growth, and you're seeing one right now as the pandemic 2020, mm-hmm. best year ever, 2021, mm-hmm. on track to be a good year as well. Mm-hmm. You, 2011 tsunami kind of caused some distribution nuances. Yeah, we have, lost some sources then, went out of business. Have you seen surges and then falls from surges where you see the crests and the valleys of the business? Well, generally, our business is quite consistent. Uh, I mean, there's a seasonality, mm-hmm. but it's not massive. Uh, you know, as soon as, as soon as the weather turns good after the first of the year, if it's spring or if it happens to be earlier in February, you know, it picks up and, and uh, we... Dealers are then restocking, and we get into summer, and then it usually kind of plateaus and slows down because they've got their stock. And then we get into fall, and they'll start building inventory for the holidays. And right. and uh, so there, there is a little seasonality, but it's it's not that uh, irregular. Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating <clears throat> because, because like when I look at it and just think about bonsai as we were talking early two thousands. And you had importations still there. You had Eldorado as a school in California and Kathy Shaner having, mm-hmm. uh, you know, finished her apprenticeship and, and contributing to California bonsai and, and bonsai on a national level in a big way. And then Boone comes back and North Cal- Northern California, you know, is kind of at a point where Southern California is tradition- transitioning out of the John Naka era, more or less. Mm-hmm. You know, he passed away mm-hmm. soon after I went to Japan yeah. to start my apprenticeship. Uh, so you had this Bay Area rise and then the loss of importation 
man, by 2004, when I went to Japan, there was no more importation. Uh, there were quarantine facilities. They were working it out as to whether they would allow it. You know, And even now, it's a very sketchy thing. So there was a, a lull. There was a big lull in North American bonsai with the loss of the imported material and the transition to valuing or understanding or even having a... And of course, you're talking about trees. I'm talking about trees. I'm just yeah. talking about bonsai culture. Yeah. You know, and, you, yeah. and, you're, and, and, you're, and you're literally seeing like, okay, Yamadori, the collected tree... Uh, is going to have to become that source because we don't have the import anymore and there aren't a lot of field growers yet at that time who were established. By 2010, when I came back, you know, trough of the recession at that point in time, I mean, uh, foreclosures across the board in Oregon, uh, this property wasn't a foreclosure, but I, I would have been better off buying a different property that was a foreclosure in terms of price. I just, this was the right place, you know, old dilapidated <laughs> cabin. And I could have had a 4,000 square foot home for cheaper than I paid for this place. Yeah. But when it was the right place, it's the right place to operate Mirai out of, you know, in terms of the nuance of the property facility, et cetera. But, but watching that, that transition, did you see that? Was that a part of Joshua Roth's experience over that time, or was it very consistent for you? Well, <laughs> glad you asked. Uh, September 11. Ah. Mm -hmm. Business just dropped out, mm. and uh, it just really, really went to about half volume. It just... I was really wishing I hadn't bought the company. Oh, yeah, I bet. <laughs> that was 2001? Yeah. 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 Yeah, September 11. That was only that was so. Yeah. That was your first year. That was yeah. That was my first year Jeez. right after I bought it. Unbelievable. And um, I thought, holy cow, what have I gotten into? Right. And then fortunately, we got on into the next year, and it started coming back. Mm -hmm. And um, it's been good since. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Like, you know, occasional hiccups, but every business does. But sure. Uh, yeah. No, it's been a good. A good business, love it, but you know, don't know how long I can continue. I'm 74 and counting. Yeah, and uh, so there is that. I'd love to have somebody that had a love for it and the ability to mm -hmm. manage mm -hmm. inventory. And it's a tough nut to find someone that has the skill set. What is um? What does your facility look like in terms of? I mean, if you have to buy three thousand of these garden shears at a time to order them, I would imagine that space to store all of this, keep it organized, and have it be a streamlined, efficient system that you can operate uh, a company like this is is pretty significant. Well, not as significant as you as you think. Okay. I've got nineteen hundred square feet and that uh -huh. includes the office and the office is about three hundred square feet of that or so. That's not and, that much. And and it's eight foot ceilings in half of it and sixteen foot in the other half. And I use probably twelve foot mm -hmm. of the sixteen foot mm -hmm. area. So, you know, keep it close. I've got a uh, very, very good organization in the in the facility and and how many people does it take to operate joshua roth well it takes two two basically yeah two 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 mints in one unbelievable do you package and ship yourself well i will yes uh -huh. i'll be yeah yeah other than that just one other person uh-huh interesting wow 
Wow. That's streamlined. Yeah. Overhead is good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I only wish that I'd had my own uh, property mm-hmm. to all these years. Yeah. Uh, instead, I've, you know, I've been renting commercial space in a strip warehouse in yeah. Albany. Yeah. For, for all these years. Yeah. So you've had some overhead there. Do you, looking back on 21 years of business, anything you would have done different from the beginning or at any point through that journey? I'd really pushed to have my own property, have, yeah. have, have my own building. Uh, that would have been the, that would have been the golden, th- golden that w- nugget. Huh? That would have been the golden nugget. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Interesting. And if you, if you retire from it now, what are you going to do with your time? Well, there, there we need you. We need you, Ken. Uh, <laughs> that, that, that is that's a tough question because, as you know, I said I don't golf. I yeah, don't, right, yeah. I don't, this is like I, this, this is, is my what hobby. You do. This is my hobby. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I love to work. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know. Find some volunteer things to go visit my brother in Ecuador. Oh, finally, there you go. Ecuador's not a bad but, gig. You know, I get maybe get down there for a couple of weeks or so. And yeah. And other other than that, Ryan, it's it's a big big question. You know, I I don't know. Maybe I'd if somebody locally bought it. Maybe I'd help them out yeah. a little bit. I'd want you know I'd want to guide them and provide whatever help I could. Oh man, yeah, you would be that would be imperative. I would think for anybody to take it over and have success with it because you've kind of built it's it, it it's it's. As much as you could say, if there is an empire in bonsai in North America, you know, it's a small niche uh, industry. It's a small niche endeavor. So that means that there is no no massive monstrous scale. But as far no. as our small community is concerned, Joshua Roth is is kind of the steadfast, singular, time-tested uh, company in, in regards to bonsai. It, it is. Mm-hmm. Professionals come and go. Ceramicists come and go. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, and that's not to be disrespectful. Sarah Rayner's an institution. You know, Ron Lang's an institution. Uh, the 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 longstanding professionals that have built North American bonsai, beyond a shadow of a doubt, deserve all the respect that they get, and probably more. But uh, but but there's been one thing that's been consistent for a majority of that. And that is Joshua and, Roth. And you know, we can like, we can thank Joshua Roth back in 1980. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, I. I wish he'd survived so that he could have still been the owner of the business because, you know, I think it just, it would have been, you know, a great business with him. Mm -hmm. And I'm just glad to try and live up to whatever he might have wanted the business to be. I mean, you, you've probably taken it farther than he could have, is my guess. Boy, I wouldn't, I, I, I would never say that. Yeah, well, that's fair enough. I, I mean, you, that, that's for me, that's for me to say, that's for me to offer up there. Then. I, I cannot believe that, but no. <laughs> I'm just glad uh, to do what I can. Yeah. Yeah. Know? And, and beings that you don't practice bonsai, I'm curious from your perspective of your, you know, view of, of things, do you see, uh, do you see a continuation of the kind of consistency that Joshua, Joshua Roth has experienced to this point? Do all signs point to bonsai continuing to grow and, and expand and proliferate? Well, from my business standpoint, I don't see it changing. I right. see it continuing, uh, hopefully growing, you know, we can, ne- we can never know about that. But uh, 
you know, I've added, uh, I think I added two new dealers in the last month. Uh, one, one in Canada, that might have been two in the last six, eight weeks, and then another one uh, recently, uh, about a week ago. Hmm. So again, I counseled them, you know, spread your money across more diverse products and yeah and uh and we're here to support you at retail and that comes from my retail background in hardware yeah yeah huh have you um have you ever in, in in sort of you know because when you think about joshua roth as a line of tools you know the there is a, a breadth and a diversity. Why, why did you choose to go with four different lines of tools? I didn't. It's that's it's always what, been built in. It was when I bought the business. Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't know if if Joshua Roth himself had four lines, or if that was something that his sister or Don Anderson did. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's the way it was when I bought it. Mm-hmm. So I've continued with that. Mm-hmm. Is there any line that's dominant? Uh, probably the intermediate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Seems to be the sweet spot. Yeah. And the intermediate, the pro, does the pro have the red latex handles? Well, used to. Used to. Yeah. The uh, <laughs> the pros, <clears throat> you know, I, I didn't have to buy a huge quantity of them. I might buy 24 or uh, at a time of a particular one, or thirty, or thirty-six, but uh, all of a sudden, uh, the company that made the tool was requiring us to buy a minimum of a hundred mm-hmm. if we wanted that coating on the handle. And I said, "Okay, it's we'll be done with that." Mm-hmm. I know that most bonsai professionals prefer uh, a tool without that. Yeah. And I think you do as well, don't do. you? Yeah, I do prefer it so, without it. So it was not a great loss in my mind. A lot of consumers liked it, mm-hmm. and we still get requests for it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, you know, just <laughs> to stock all all of those professional grade that we had with that, uh, the investment was just ridiculous. Yeah. Now, in the professional tools that Joshua Roth offers, is there a is there a significant difference in the quality of the metal? Well, between uh, between novice and intermediate, there's a huge, huge difference in the quality. And then there is a nice, very qualitative step up from intermediate to professional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what is that difference in the metal? Because n- now I want to dig into this a little bit. This is for me as much as anything. I, I'm not as knowledgeable as I should be or would like to be about this. And, and I'm, I'm, I really want to pick your brain about it. <laughs> well, I am not a metallurgist. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Yeah, but you're carrying this. You have to understand this stuff. It's alloys that go into the tool, the, yeah. the, the amount of carbon. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, and, and the amount of carbon is not like six times the amount of carbon. It's small percentages. Yeah. Uh, of increase in carbon in the in the higher quality tools, but it's other alloys that go in into the tools, and it's the and it's the hardening uh, of the metal, how, the process where mm-hmm. they do it, and how they do it, and, and uh, getting a good quality hardening on the cutting edges, and mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, it's just it's alloys and carbon. And- Interesting. So when we see so from 
from novice to intermediate, there's a significant step up. A significant, yes. And the significant step up is the balance of durability and precision. Yes. And and, and appearance. Okay. As well. Uh-huh. Very much so in appearance. Gotcha. So the actual design is different of the tools. Um, refined. Ah, okay. All right. So the finish of the tool. The finish, yes. Yeah, interesting. And then when you step up from intermediate to advanced or to... To, to the professional. To the professional. Now, all of a sudden, maybe not as monumental of a step up between novice and intermediate because you have the refinement of the tool already, but you're talking about a higher quality, cutting edge that, again, is walking that higher balance. Higher quality steel. Uh-huh. And... Uh, and, and and it is also visually noticeable. Gotcha. Visually noticeable. And again, that next level of finish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. I'll be darned. And how, and how do you feel about stainless? Just as a quality of metal, cutting capacity, et cetera. Well, personally, I prefer the professional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't have any... Uh, I don't have any... Uh, uh, prejudice against stainless in mm-hmm. terms of you know, people mm-hmm. want to use stainless steel tools. That's amazing. I just have a problem because I don't have the skill set to sharpen them mm-hmm. and to maintain stainless to a de- to the same degree that I can with my high carbon steel tools. And and that really is a limitation mm-hmm. for me mm-hmm. because all of a sudden now you've got a stainless which is beautiful and which is durable. Uh, but you also have to have the ability to make sure that those edges cut, and that is a job for a professional. Do you have one of my 1103 sharpeners? Do you know what that is? It looks like a pencil. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's an orange, orange handle, and it's got... Yeah, a, and out of the end, it's a square piece of yeah. carbide. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is great for sharpening tools, including concave cutters and root cutters and straight blade tools as well. Now, if somebody wanted to learn how to sharpen with that tool, are there tutorials that you guys have or offer? Because each, I, each tool comes with a little insert. Uh-huh. They originally came in Japanese, and I hired a local person to translate. And right. So we have it in, in English. I'll be darned. I have that. You know, I, I honestly have never figured you out know, how to use it. And it, it's not like it's a big tutorial. It's just, you know, here's... Hold the tool. <laughs> Here's how you do it. Yeah, it's, a little, <laughs> yeah, right. it's a very, very limited piece of paper gotcha. that we insert, we print and insert. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. The sharpening of bonsai tools. We did a we did a, a stream on sharpening at least the concave cutters, root cutters, and scissors because you have a relatively straightforward cutting edge there. The spherical concave cutters, your knob cutters. This is a horse of a different color to sharpen those. Yeah. Do you offer sharpening well, capacity for those? We do not offer the service. Yeah. No, no, not the serve the the resources in terms of the spherical stones or a methodology to well, sharpen those. The eleven oh three sharpener can be used on So you use on those it for curved, that as well. On those curved services, yes. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Interesting. I'm gonna have to invest in in figuring out how to use that then. We had a really good customer on the East Coast that did a lot of business with us every month. And one day, got a com- complaint from him that a lady, he's had sold uh, a stainless steel concave cutter to that uh, she said was defective. And the first thing I always ask when somebody says they have a defective concave cutter or root cutter, knob cutter, is what the defect is. And invariably, it is that the, te- the cutting edges don't 
match together. They don't overlap. Mm -hmm. It's defective because it overlaps, wasn't made right. And so I explained that that was made right. <laughs> right. And uh, and uh, the the lady was, uh, you know, I was communicating by email with the with the lady. And uh, she was uh, insistent that they were defective because her masakunis were not that way. Mm -hmm. Which I said, well, reply, how long have you had them? And she had had them for like 30 years or something. And I asked, have you had them sharpened over the years? Oh, yes, many times. And I suggested perhaps the person didn't know that they had to maintain that overlap. Mm -hmm. And, well, she didn't believe that. And I said, well please contact your local bonsai society because I found it hard to believe someone with Masakuni tools for all those years wasn't a member of and didn't already know this. Yeah. And so she, uh, she did and she ended up apologizing and, oh. and she realized that, <laughs> yeah, that uh, sadly the expert sharpener had, had eliminated over the years that that uh, uh, <laughs> that defect in her tools. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But now it was fixed. <laughs> but the surprising thing is that 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 dealer that did thousands of dollars with me and typically a couple grand a month uh, quit doing business with me because I wouldn't send her a replacement tool. Which I said, if I sent her a replacement tool, it would be identical with the same yeah. defect. Yeah, which isn't a defect. Huh. And that was the end of doing business with him. That's too bad. I couldn't, yeah, couldn't understand it. I'll be darned. Anyway. Huh. <laughs> so, so do you have any clients or customers that were with Joshua Roth from the very beginning? Yes. You do. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. Gray Anderson at Nehi Bonsai. Uh-huh. Do you know of it? You know, <clears throat> I do. I do. Okay. He, Yeah, he is always... Uh, He's in, that's Fresno, right? Central yes, Valley, Fresno, yes. California. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he is always uh, so happy to talk about how he knew Joshua uh -huh. and that, uh, and that what a good job yeah. he insists that I have been doing with the business all these years. Very cool. So, and I've had the pleasure of visiting him twice uh -huh. uh, and uh, on a road trip to LA once, went to see a, a niece uh, down in, in LA sure. and, uh, stopped, uh, on that trip and stopped on another one hmm. when I went to San Francisco. The, I feel like, I feel like inside of Bonsai, the long forgotten place of Bonsai in North America is the Central Valley of California. Because you talk about Southern California and John Naka and, uh -huh. and, and, and that influence uh -huh. and the Huntington uh, Library and Garden uh, Golden State Collection. You talk about the Bay Area and the influence of Massimo Zumi and then, and then Kathy and Boone and Dennis Makashima and, you know, uh, a, a cornucopia of other bonsai practitioners. You know, the Central Valley of California and you're talking about knee-high bonsai. I mean, there's yeah. any number of bonsai practitioners facilities i i want to say and, and don't quote me on this i want to say the hokkaido elm was hybridized at uh at miniature plant kingdom which is i i believe a central valley uh bonsai operation long ago i'm not mm -hmm. i'm not totally sure about that mm -hmm. but 
but there's a very rich history, you know, the Clark Collection and Bob Hilver's uh, at the Shenzhen Friendship Garden in Fresno is, is, is the third Golden State Collection. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't get the same shine or the attention as, as Collection North or Collection South. And it's a real shame because, because that Central Valley community was a, a, a pivotal part of history. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. At the foothills of the Sierras, I mean, that's a real significant access point to a lot of different things. Well, I'm glad you asked me that. It's a real source of pleasure to to bring up Nehi Bonsai and Gray Anderson. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's funny about that is uh, Troy, my, my right-hand man, uh, Troy is from the Central Valley, born and raised. Oh, okay. And, uh, and is great friends with Greg. And Nehi Bonsai is a place that he speaks about frequently. Yeah. Just because yeah. it's it's rooted in his bonsai. Uh well, he has sort of a nice history. business there. Yeah. D- did you ever actually I, visit? I have, I have not I have not been there since I think I went there once in college, uh back in two mm-hmm. between two thousand two thousand four. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and I have not been back since, but I I, I, reg- I regret that I say that yeah. because I, I, I would like to go and, and say hello and check it out. Well, I, f- I fear for the long-term future. You know, he needs to find someone that can come in. And uh, he's got a very bad hip that mm-hmm. he refuses to have surgery. And uh, I just i am amazed at how he keeps going. Yeah. He, but he has a genuine love for the art and the yeah. business. And Yeah. Yeah. The, the generational exchange in bonsai... Is uh yeah. is one of the complexities mm-hmm. of the art form that mm-hmm. I find to be the most challenging, mm-hmm. because obviously none of us live forever. Yeah, but yeah. we really lean on. You have these pivotal figures and and operations, gardens, mm-hmm. nurseries, mm-hmm. 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 Uh, and 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 then and they're not destined to be there for forever. Yeah, you know, and when they go, it leaves these gaping holes in in the community and the culture. Uh, it's an endearing aspect. It's it's fitting and and correlates with the medium, I think, in a really profound way because obviously there's an ephemeral quality to existence and whether it's the tree or the person creating the tree. Uh, but yeah, that's a that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Even in my short time in bonsai, lost a lot of really close people, a lot of really uh, significant mentors, uh, some wonderful students and clients, and that that's been a that's been tough, and I would imagine you've probably experienced a lot of that yourself. Well, we've lost a lot of a lot of dealers. Yeah, over the years, very good dealers. Yeah, yeah. Is it discouraging at all to you to see the dominance of online and the move away from brick and mortar? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, yeah. obviously, you've spoken to not wanting mm-hmm. or degrading the brand. Yes. Um, and really, kind of being pro brick and mortar mm-hmm. in the in the mm-hmm. way that Joshua mm-hmm. Roth associates with mm-hmm. dealers. But um, but you've you've felt that be a little bit disheartening. Yeah, I, I I hate to see what Amazon is doing in general to the to the business community. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> don't know what you think about Jeff Bezos, but I'm not a fan. <laughs> you know, I don't know. He, I I don't, he, I don't know he, the guy. He, you know, he, he's he's certainly successful, but uh, yeah. uh, ruthless uh, in in cutting out. Uh, cutting out competition. Yeah. 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 You want, I always wonder, I always wonder when things like that start. I mean, obviously the idea, there's an opportunity. 
-hmm. opportunities identified and the mm -hmm. manner in which that opportunity is going to be maximized and captured mm -hmm. is, is the concept mm -hmm. for a new business, right? You know, you know, the more people do that, it, it lessens the ability to have personal relationships in your community yeah. with, with the businesses in your community yeah. that are there to support. They pay their taxes, they pay property taxes and payroll taxes, wages. Um, I, I just don't like to see Amazon take that away. Mm -hmm. And they've done that a lot. Do you feel like that has a trickle down effect in terms of undermining the general fabric of society? Yes. The loss of mom and pa yeah. shops, the loss yeah. of that community. Very component. much so. Uh -huh. Very much so. And, and have you seen that impact even a small town like Brownsville or Albany? Have you seen it impact the, the, the structure of the community? Well, there's, empty storefronts and yeah. but but fortunately albany has had a resurgence mm. uh, uh, there was a lady who uh, saw a, a carousel up in montana i think missoula and started a program uh, or a, a, a fund or a effort to uh, have a carousel in albany mm -hmm. and uh, they were able to get a historical carousel uh, that was in pieces and uh, brought it to the community, and they had volunteers work for probably ten years carving animals. And if you you ought to come to Albany and visit this carousel is incredible. Huh? Uh, and it's 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 magnificent. And I, you could Google Albany carousel. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and see pictures of it, but it's it's amazing. And and that was located. Uh, at the edge of downtown, mm -hmm. and uh, and that has helped pull a resurgence into downtown businesses. I'll be darned. But it, yeah, it's really helped a lot. I'll be darned. I, I went to <clears throat> Albany uh, a handful of times back in 2014, 15, because uh -huh. uh, when we were organizing the Artisans Cup, Loved that event. Oh, I was glad to be one of the many sponsors. Super appreciative of your support to make that happen. That that was the most painful thing I've ever done. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I, I like no. uh, you know, without the sponsors, yeah. uh, it, it it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. That's a, a absolute well, no positive. Way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but but Rick Gregg was a sculptor who lived in Albany. He now lives in Portland and, and, a, and a very well-known metal sculptor uh, and artist in the Pacific Northwest community. Anyways, mm -hmm. I was, you know, going down to his place consistently to look at the, the mock-ups for the trophies for the mm -hmm. Artisan's Cup. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just had, I had at that time, I had no idea that that's where Joshua Roth was also, mm -hmm. you know, based mm -hmm. out of. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and now you've also expanded my awareness that Technu, which is a company that I, 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 I lived on in college, <laughs> yeah. being in the Central Coast of California, which was like the epicenter of Poison Oak. Yeah. Uh, Technu was my best friend yeah. in, no the, in the coastal collecting conditions where you go get good Quercus agrifolia. You were bound to get uh, Poison Oak. Yeah. <laughs> Saved your butt many times. Oh, yeah. man. My butt and every other part every of my other body. Part. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Oh, that's bad. I'm, I'm glad to hear, though, that Albany and some of, I feel like, you know, I was in Walla Walla back at, at the end of 2015. There was um, uh, Mumford and Sons concert in Walla Walla, and they were doing this uh, tour called Gentlemen of the Road Tour, and they, were, they picked communities 
that had applied to have Mumford and Sons come and do a concert in their community. And the the selection process was based on how much has this community invested in itself? How how much has mm-hmm, the community mm-hmm, made a mm-hmm. commitment to yeah. really mm-hmm. supporting local businesses? And Walla Walla, Washington blew my mind. Really? Yeah, blew yeah. my mind. Uh, the, the A complete restoration of downtown, historical restoration of downtown, a real vibrant reinvigoration and uh, investment in themselves and the success of their local community. And the, the, the product of that was for, yeah, I'm going to say 80 miles radius, Around, yeah. 80 mile radius of Walla Walla, every store, every police station, fire station, winery, because you're in big mm-hmm. vineyard country yeah. out there, you know, was, was hanging banners for, you know, the gentleman of the road tour mm-hmm. promoting this thing. And mm-hmm. I think they said the economic impact report on Walla Walla for that one concert was like 15 or $20 million oh, wow. that was that's, in, that's, injected that's into the incredible. community. And you just look at that and you're just like, man, what a significant contribution uh, a, 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 you know, a, a high profile uh, mu- musical group like Mumford & Sons is making to small town rural communities that chose to invest in themselves. Albany has, uh, ever since I moved to Albany, I have had uh, river rhythms. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. No. Uh, and uh, I think I think it's going to be scaled back this year and a little bit and fewer. But I think they typically would have like maybe seven uh, events uh, uh, every uh, uh, once a week mm-hmm. over the summer. And they also had Mondays at Monteith, which was the same park mm-hmm. location, mm-hmm. and have a free musical entertainment. And some some really good entertainment would nice. come in for for that, and it, and they'd pass the hat for donations, and uh, just has been a nice thing to draw people into the community. And with the carousel and with the resurgence of the downtown uh, business core uh, being uh, a high occupancy now, a few vacancies, but yeah, uh, is I think Albany is really equipped to that's, grow. That's great. And we're next to Corvallis. Yeah. Yeah. You know, college community and yeah that's great they they tried to do a um they tried to do an expansion of the historic downtown in st helens along the river walk Mm -hmm. there's a piece of property down there that they were going to do kind of like a you know uh live work food restaurant coffee um -hmm. art gallery kind of a vibe down there and and the community um the community voted it down and St. Helens, a lot of people don't realize this, but as you drive into the town of St. Helens, which where Mariah is, is in between Scappoose and St. Helens and mm-hmm. Warren, but St. Helens, there's a sign, and I'll never forget driving into St. Helens the very first time I came here. Uh, it was interesting because the sign said, you know, America voted America's uh, best small town in like 1976 and the chain was broken on half of the sign and it was just <laughs> oh hanging it was just hanging. does that tell a story <laughs> yes it's well, very story. sad very yeah. sad yeah unfortunately yeah and and talking with randy knight about saint helens you know there was a point where the port of saint helens because it was so much closer than portland was was a higher rent than portland 
based on the fact that the ships could drop uh, at a, to a closer proximity to the mouth of the Columbia. Right. And so from that perspective, uh, from that perspective, uh, you know, St. Helens at that time, downtown St. Helens, you couldn't get a storefront. The, the rent, the price, the community booming every uh, mill payday, mm -hmm. obviously all the businesses yeah. prospered from the paychecks being delivered. Uh, and when the mill shut down and, and the ports moved and, you mm -hmm. know, suddenly uh, all, all of those industries changed, it really has never rebounded from yeah. that. So they've really shut the port down. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's, they're, they're all super fun sites because, you know, it's yeah, based on yeah. the timber industry and, okay. and paper mills, creosote plants mm -hmm. and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's it, it's as a, as a study of, you know, because going back to Wegmans in the northeastern United States, mm -hmm. when you drive through small town upstate new york that's a that's a real desolate sort of hopeless environment you know it's like uh you see those repercussions and talking about amazon and i think walmart was the precursor to that you know yeah. as, as sort of the beginning of yes of very, that very much so yeah and 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 the change in the fabric of society so i i think all of that to say i really respect the fact that your criteria for setting up relationships with your no dealers yeah, your yeah. dealers is is hey, mm -hmm. do you have a brick and mortar? And yeah. and wanting mm -hmm. that to be mm -hmm. a part of mm -hmm. what Joshua Roth stands mm -hmm. for and supports is almost like a greater stance of of Joshua Roth as a company supporting sort of the fabric of society that ha has led to I think a lot of healthy, fruitful relationships mm -hmm. and community building components. Well, uh, that that's where my core is, but you know I, I know it's it costs me a lot of potential sales. Yeah, but you know. Uh, it's what I'm about, really. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I have to be that way, or I could not be happy. Yeah. At the end of the day, you At feel good about day, what you're doing. About what I'm doing. That's yeah. right. I could not be happy with myself. Huh. So, I mean, you have to have been tempted, or, or, or not tempted. You have to have been propositioned with the distribution of of of, of tools that are a lower price point point and a lesser quality. I would have to imagine that people have approached you about that. Well, we we get samples, and generally, most of the tools are unsatisfactory. Yeah, for one reason or another. Uh, our uh, our garden cut shear that I mentioned, uh, two thousand eleven, caused the end of the maker that was producing that for us, mm. and it was made in Japan with Japanese cutlery grade steel. And uh, our agents were sending us samples of tools uh, from Japan, and the quality was less and the cost was more than what we'd been paying. And I could not find a Japanese source. I was lucky enough to find a company that uh, had a manufacturing in most Asian countries. And... Uh, I took samples. They had an office in Portland. And I went up and saw the owner of the company, took a couple of samples. I said, here's my garden cut share. This is very important to my business. Can you make this for me? It has to look identical. The package has to look identical. And it has to be made with Japanese, with the same Japanese cutlery grade steel mm -hmm. that is currently made with. Can you make it for me? I said, any place but China. 
And he said, how about Taiwan? I said, Taiwan, I'm good with Taiwan. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm all in favor of the Taiwan independence, et cetera. I don't yeah. consider. So, uh, so he's been able to produce that for me in Taiwan with the Japanese cutlery grade steel all these years, ever mm. since, and maintain the quality. I wanted it to look identical, package as well as the tool, so that when a dealer would get it, there would be no off-putting. Yep. There'd be no resistance. The only evidence is on the back, it says made in Taiwan with yep. Japanese cutlery grade steel. So I'm being upfront about that. And I would explain that verbally over the phone with countless dealers mm -hmm. about what and why. And, and uh, you know, we've got Wegmans. They continue to order, you yeah. know, scores of them yeah, and everybody else. So we were able to maintain the quality, kept the same quality steel, et cetera. So, Amazing. yeah, it, it's difficult to keep finding the quality we want. Yeah. Yeah, wow. What a what a rabbit hole. Yeah. What a rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah. Everything that you approach you as in a figurative you, everything that you approach always there's always more that goes into it than meets the eye. Oh, a lot o more. Always. Always. Always, yeah. Huh. So your brother that lives in Ecuador was the one that bought you out of the hardware store you guys ran together? No, it's uh, my oldest brother. Okay. Yeah, All right. Yeah. So so the brother that bought you out of the hardware store, is he still operating the hardware store? No, sadly, he got a neurological disease that was horrible. Ah. If you picture, it wasn't the same disease, but if you picture Stephen Hawking, mm -hmm. that was the end of his life and oh, how wow. he looked. Uh he, he was excellent, uh, excellent building materials. My forte was the hardware end, managing inventory there, and his forte was was building materials. Mm -hmm. And uh, he had a son. Uh, he, well, he had two sons, but one that came in and worked with us. And, uh, and I... You know, as wor working with, with the beloved uh, next older brother... Uh, well, most ideas needed to be his. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> if I could try and try and try and try and be <laughs> that was very diplomatic. That was very diplomatic. <laughs> and I looked for an opportunity to buy a business of my own where uh -huh. I could do what I wanted. Yeah. And and the the very funny thing, Ryan, is that once I had my own business and started doing what I wanted, he he started doing everything that I had wanted to do. Uh -huh, of course. <laughs> and the business needed it, so I was glad. Yeah. You know, I, not one bit of bitterness. I was just so glad to see him uh, advancing the business uh, that would make it better, yeah. and and also the fact that that his his son was in the business now as an employee. He's got an uncle in front of him in the business, you know, let me get out of the way and have my own business and everything is great. And yeah. it was wonderful. Huh. I'll yeah. be darn. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be darn. So, so <clears throat> Joshua Roth moving forward is going to have to find a new proprietor. Well, I'm 74 and a half. Yeah. It's the season. It's, you know... How long? It's getting harder to manage the business, all yeah. of the aspects of it, mentally, physically. You know, I'm still physically 
pretty darn good for for my age, etc. Yeah. And uh, but it's just it's getting harder. You know, it needs to find somebody with that with young blood that loves the business, the ability to manage inventory, yeah, and committed to customer service. You know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a very, I would say that's a unique, although not uh, <clears throat> impossible, unique skill set mm -hmm. to find that combination yeah. of elements. Yeah, business software is a big help, but it's it takes also thinking on your, you know, your own, you think on your own as yeah. well. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, wow, fascinating, fascinating, fascinating. Now, now did you ever have any interaction with, John Naka or Yuji Oshimura or any of these, any of these people that renowned really define <laughs> yeah. kind of generations of bonsai culture in North America. No, never. No. Did. So you've always kind of your perspective has always been a bit from a distance. Yeah, very much so. Uh, yet, yet but, your but, tools but, are primary to the act that we perform. But but with. But working with and getting advice from. People like uh, 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 Everett Basson down in Southern California, uh, uh, another gentleman in uh, in Illinois, Southern Illinois, uh, who was uh, a lot of help. Uh, Diane Lund yeah. was key mm -hmm. at Wee Tree Farm. How great was she? Uh, she was wonderful. Just a and we, wonderful and we person. we so miss her business, but she needed to go take care of her mother back in Minnesota yeah. or Michigan, wherever it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. God, Diane Lund. I would love to. You know, I'm going to make a note to myself just because... Just because... Uh, Anytime I got a new book, I would send her the book for approval. Do I add this to my inventory <laughs> selection or not? Do you have her contact information? I do. Maybe afterwards you could share that. I would love to podcast with Diane uh, because mm. she was such, uh, you know, she's so humble. Oh, uh, very much so. So humble yeah. and maybe she might not be interested, but but uh, but to to be able to talk with her about, you know, her experiences in Bonesai. Yeah. Listen, We Tree Farm supplied a majority of the United States with the bonsai soils that we now accept as the as the the foundational modern uh, go-to. Really? Yeah, she just had it she and and mm -hmm. uh Randy we did a podcast a few weeks ago because Randy used to have a growing field and he would cult he cultivated 10,000 trees in the growing field, you know, on top of his Yamadori collecting. Uh and he was the best field grower or one of the best field growers in North America. You know, I mean, obviously, Chris Kirk and Gary Wood at Telperion Farm were, were, were mm -hmm, are, are mm -hmm. you know, were because Telperion had the unfortunate incident with the fire, uh, were top, top of the heap to be sure. Randy was just different, you know. Um, but, but Diane, Randy <clears> used to always <throat> say Diane would come to the field and had, a, had the best eye for selecting material. Oh, she was wonderful. She was amazing. I, I call her once in a while, not often enough, just to check in with her. Mm -hmm. I'm overdue now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, interesting. Now, if you could, if you could go and live any place besides Oregon, do you have, if say for example, you step out of the 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 tool business, 
would you would you change your surroundings or or are you really happy in Albany? Are you are you uh, Albany Oregon, is Oregon a, through and through? Uh, I'm born in Oregon, mm-hmm. love Oregon, and uh, uh, graduated from the University of Oregon. But I'm first and foremost a Beaver fan. Uh-huh. Oh wow, that's a conundrum. <laughs> uh, well, uh, my oldest brother went to Oregon State, uh-huh. and so uh, as he, he was eight years older than I. And I would go over there on weekends and, and get to spend some weekends. My dad uh, would have uh, tickets for Oregon State football, Oregon State basketball. Mm-hmm. And that was in the day, you ever hear the name Terry Baker? Yeah. Oregon State's uh, Terry Baker received the Heisman Trophy 50 years before the Ducks received their Heisman Trophy. Right. And uh, not putting down, <laughs> not putting down uh, that Heisman at all because he was terrific and deserved it. But was that Mariota? Yes. Yeah. But Terry Baker, uh, you know, I got to see Terry Baker play, uh, and he was the captain of the football team, captain of the uh, uh, baseball team, and captain of the basketball team. A three-sport athlete. A three-sport athlete and a nice, humble person. Wow. A great, a great, just a great uh, person, mm. uh, totally. Yeah, three-sport athlete. And uh, uh, his senior year, uh, they had to play back on the East Coast. They played uh, uh, in in Carolinas. I forget which. It was the Liberty Bowl, mm. and it was an ice bowl. And the Beavers won six to nothing. <laughs> he ran 99 yards for the touchdown. <laughs> to win the game. To win the game. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, Mel Counts, got to watch him play basketball, seven-foot center. Huh. And Steve Pauley, Jim Jarvis, and those athletes. And so that cemented my affection uh, for Oregon State. So when you were going to U of O, were you like a closet Beavers fan? Because that's a that's a that, the Civil War game. I mean, it's like a pretty intense rivalry. Yeah, there. yeah, very much so. And it's not that I didn't root for for the Ducks, but you know, if they played the Beavers, I, I'm sorry. I, yeah, I'm a Beaver fan, but yeah. uh, uh, but I, I I went there. I thought it was a better had a better business degree. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if that's the case now or not, but uh, yeah. uh, that's why I went there. Oregon State made a deep run into the NCAA's. Yes, they did. Yeah. I was rooting for them. I was pulling for them. Uh, my wife and I have season tickets uh, for women's basketball and have had for many years since right after Scott Ruick came as their coach mm. and turned the program around. Right. And, uh, and we've had season tickets for baseball for uh, several years, but we may... Did they win a national championship recently in baseball? Uh, yeah, 2018. 2018, yeah. yeah. There we go. Yeah, and and, and uh, 2006 and seven. Okay, strong. So strong. Yeah, it's 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 wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I was born and raised mm-hmm. in Colorado, so mm-hmm. Denver Broncos. Yeah. I bleed blue and blue and orange. Even though yeah. you know it's it's yeah. tough right now. It's yeah. tough right now for us. Uh, we had the Elway era, then we had the Peyton Manning era. Now it's uh-huh. uh, we're, we're we're sort the of sad we're identi- identityless at the at the moment. You know, <laughs> yeah. it could be worse. Yeah. We could, you know, could be whatever Cubs fans or something yeah. like that. But um, uh, you know the 
the the notion of of Oregon culture from the sports perspective is something that I've had to learn since since uh, moving here, you know, ten yeah. years ago. But uh, but it's an intense underbelly of the culture. You know, it's not it's not something that people lead with. Although there are the people that drive around with a beaver's flag flying or and a bumper duck's. stickers. Yeah, and, you sure. Know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But when the when the when University of Oregon plays Oregon State, the state shuts down. It's like that's when you know where everybody's loyalties lie, <laughs> and it's such a dividing line in this yeah. state. I I did not experience anything like that in yeah. Colorado. Even when Colorado University of Colorado in Boulder would play, and I don't think they played often, but periodically would happen. Colorado <laughs> State and Fort Collins, it was nothing, uh-huh. nothing like, like that. <laughs> nothing like what happens here. Nothing like it. Yeah, I really regret that they're doing away with the calling it the Civil War. Because it's got nothing to do with racism, right. you know. Right. It's, it's here we are. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, it's Interesting. been a great tradition. Yeah, and it'll continue. It'll continue. It'll yeah. continue as something different. Oh, it's stupid. They're calling it the rivalry series. Oh well, that is not as that is not as as quality as <laughs> yeah. that's too bad. <laughs> that's too bad. Did, does the rain in the winter not get you down? Born and raised here, have you ever thought like maybe a little sunnier winter spot might? Hey, it's what makes the state so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. you know. See, that's the mentality. You know, I like four seasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I have to I have to say this this past winter, I got ahead of it, mm-hmm. but uh, it has definitely chipped away at me over the course of the time that I've been here. Mm-hmm. And I would say two winters ago, I was like, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to do this much longer. Uh, it yeah. was. Yeah. If you don't go into winter ready for it uh-huh. and prepared and chock full of vitamin D, you're in you're in deep trouble. Well, yeah, you just put on your rain gear and go for a walk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I. I, I the, when I first moved to Oregon, the, the big consensus was if you're carrying an umbrella, you're not from Oregon, <laughs> yeah. you know, because it's not going to, there's not much that's going to happen when you got an umbrella in your hand. And if you're not working in the rain, you're not going to get much done. Yeah. It's been an interesting adjustment to life. I was used to, uh, I was used to snow and I was used to cold in Colorado. Yeah. Uh, and Japan brought about California makes you soft. Uh, because it's just nice all the time mm-hmm. there, and then uh, and then Japan brought about a different set of challenges that had nothing to do with the weather, but uh, but Oregon has been a true experience. On a day like today, there's no better place in the world. No, no better place. It's absolutely gorgeous. No better place in the hey, world. My brother in Ecuador lives just north of Quito, nine thousand foot elevation, within two hundred feet of the equator. Wow, weather is. Terrific year round. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, and he loves it there. I, I don't. I, I like Four Seasons. I don't know if I would like. You yeah. know, maybe I would, but yeah, yeah. nine thousand feet, and it's nice year round because he's at the equator. Yes. That is hard to digest. Yeah. Nine thousand feet in Colorado is uh, borderline timberline. You know, you're up uh-huh. at a point where plants are having a hard uh-huh. time growing. Uh-huh. So to yeah. think, well, they they garden year round. Not, not my brother, but uh, you know the people growing food it's year round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, that'll be good for you to get out and experience that. I'm curious about the Coriolis effect. You know what that is? No. Well, when you flush a toilet or you run water ah, in the sink, the right, the clockwise <laughs> versus counterclockwise. Yeah. 
What does it do when they're 200 feet from the equator? <laughs> Have you asked him? No, I haven't. Oh. <laughs> I'm waiting to see my, for myself. I got you. This is your own curiosity. <laughs> You're gonna, this is like uh, Cause, yeah. when, when you retire and you officially get to go to Ecuador, you're going to answer that for yourself. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah. Is there like some sort of like buffer yeah, okay. or distance from the equator where it starts to take effect? And then at the equator, what is the, just what does go it straight do? down? Straight. <laughs> is that what you're thinking? Yeah. I'm wondering. <laughs> <laughs> just drops dead into the toilet. That's funny. That's funny. We were talking about this. I was just recently in Wyoming with the backcountry boys, uh, Dan and Steve, two, two great guys, wonderful uh, Yamadori collectors, good bonsai practitioners. And we were talking about the rotation of trees in the Northern Hemisphere. And uh, a long time ago, Andy Smith from Golden Arrow Bonsai, uh, who's mm. one of the True Blue original uh, Yamadori collectors. He's one of my dealers. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and he was, uh, I believe Andy is a timber surveyor for, for the Forest Service or, or uh, some, some, you know, uh, spends a lot of time looking at a lot of trees, basically, in the, in the Black Hills of South Dakota. And I don't want to misquote Andy, but I, I remember him saying, and I remember it as something like 80% of, of trees in North America rotate in a, in a similar direction and 20% rotate opposite of that. Now, I don't believe that it correlates. And what does the, that mean, rotate? Rotate, uh, you know, have a, have a clockwise or counterclockwise twist to the, to the way that they grow. And, and, uh, and of course the natural assumption is, okay, well, the, the sun rises in the east and sets mm-hmm, in the west. Does mm-hmm. that have an impact or, you know, the Coriolis effect as you're talking mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. in, in the Northern hemisphere it rotates mm-hmm. in a clockwise mm-hmm. direction, correct? So I was thinking of, yeah, 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 it's clockwise. Clockwise. Here, here in the, but he's talking about the fibers of the tree. So. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah, so there's, you know, when when you uh, when you look at sort of the timber in the Pacific Northwest, a majority of it has a has a ramrod straight grain, which is what makes Doug for a favorable framing mm-hmm. material yeah. for building, right? Yeah. It doesn't mm-hmm. twist and warp. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the ponderosa pines or the lodgepole pines or the 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 timber in the Rocky Mountains or the Black Hills or a lot of uh, more rugged environments, it has a twist. You know, whether that's a genetic mutation, the trees that had a twist in their DNA strand are the ones that survived because they had more of a capacity to endure wind shear and therefore they reproduced. And this is what became the common characteristic. You know, who knows what happened or if there's an environmental influence that's causing this lopsided distribution of one rotation versus another. And again, I don't want to misquote it. I believe that the common common 80% rotation is counterclockwise, which is opposite of the Coriolis effect. But but again, I want to be very careful that I'm not certain of that. Right. And and Andy had a had a definitive notion of what that was. And I, I need to talk to him about that because I'm curious as I've observed it. But anyways, going to the equator. I, I would carry that curiosity with me as well. So anyways, <laughs> yeah. if you want to take that nugget, I'd be curious to talk to you when you get back. Yeah. I'll try to remember. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, well, Ken, I mean, I can't thank you enough for making the making the trip up to Mirai and taking the time. Albany's not uh, not that close. Eh, it's not that far. Okay. You know. I appreciate that perspective. Not that far. Yeah. We, uh, we value what you do to uh, a tremendous degree it's a- an absolute pleasure working with you well it's a pleasure working with you appreciate that as well yeah 
Yeah, and and I just can't thank you enough for everything you've done for North American bonsai and and obviously bonsai abroad as well because it sounds like Joshua Roth uh, has a really far reach. But I certainly know, you know, for for our bonsai culture here, uh, you've been a sed- steadfast pillar for us, and and uh, it's appreciated, and, well, it, and it does not go unnoticed. Thank you, thank yeah. you very much. I, Absolutely, uh, every day is a challenge. <laughs> you're the right man for the challenge clearly because you've been you've been taking it on and and uh and doing something really spectacular with it and 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 again you know when uh when i told eve hey it'd be great to talk uh with ken about joshua roth and then you had responded like i don't know what we're going to talk about i was like hey listen listen there's not a shortage to talk about but the contributions to the new talent competition, your understanding of how you as a company help facilitate the expansion of a bonsai community, supporting it, Texas, Florida, and all the things that you do. You know, there's, again, beyond just your longevity, there's not a lot of, of business owners out there in the bonsai practice that see uh, the necessity or or the, the call to duty to support the community. And so, um, you know, your support from the Artisans Cup helped us make that happen. There's so many other aspects that you're contributing to. It's just it's it's kick-ass to get to talk to you, man. I'm a, I'm in a, I'm a little bit in like a, a state of you know you're kind of a celebrity well, for me. Well, you're, you're very generous. I, I I never feel like a celebrity. Well, I, I'm I'm hidden away just doing my thing in yeah. Albany. <laughs> yeah. Well, today is the day. You know? <laughs> We're huge fans. So thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. I appreciate you're it, welcome. and I look you know I look forward to. Uh, to the continuation and whatever happens with Joshua Roth, mm-hmm. we're, we're going to be behind you because we believe in what's going on there. Well, thank you very much. All right. All right. We'll talk to you again. Okay, Ryan. <laughs>